Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva Radio, Israel, national news slash radio. And we are proud to be sponsored by the S4 Group, S4 Full Service, Government Relations and Communications firm lobbying around the country and they have a very informative weekly newsletter on state and federal politics. You can access that s4grp.com. Scroll down and you'll find it. And, well, we're going to go guest-free this week. And the reason we're going to do that is just because I feel like i got a lot to say. i got a lot to say about what's going on in the world of politics, Democratic side, Republican side. And just when you think you've seen everything... Just when you think it can't get any weirder, just when you think that this race can't be any more sensational, well, it actually happens. And once again, it's the Donalds dominating the airwaves, sucking up all the media attention, sucking up all the oxygen. And he does that in the most, well, I don't know, it's hard to say... That anything hurts this guy. It's hard to say that anything is going to affect him. But perhaps, but perhaps, what's happened in the last couple days will have a detrimental effect. Because from where I stand at this point, and I've said this to people, and I got a lot of people telling me, a lot of people in Republican circles, even establishment types, even people who are people I've worked with in the past who could not be any more connected to D.C., who have basically said, well, we got to come to terms with this guy. We have to come to terms with the fact that Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. And therefore, because Hillary Clinton is so bad and so awful and so bad for the country, well... In that case, we have to go ahead and say it's going to be Donald Trump and we're going to have to support him. And I will say I am not on that bandwagon. I can't say I'm a never-Trump guy, but I'm certainly not on that bandwagon. But we're not here to talk about me. I don't want to give, you know, as far as how I feel about the race. I think there's a lot of campaigning left to go. There's a lot of states left. There's a lot of the race is left. And will Trump get to 1237? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think his campaign is headed in an upward trajectory as far as grabbing more of the electorate. I think what he has right now with the three, Trump, Kasich, Cruz, or Trump, Cruz, Kasich, however you want to say it, or if you're looking at the polling in Wisconsin right now, it would be Cruz, Trump, Kasich. I'm sure Trump doesn't want to hear that. But Ted Cruz seems to be coalescing the anti-Trump vote. And it's pretty clear, actually, that if John Kasich gets out, it's not going to all benefit Ted Cruz. In fact, head-to-head, it actually seems that it doesn't uh, do as well. But anyway, I think this three-way race that goes on right now on the Republican side is seems to be static as far as Donald Trump is concerned. And perhaps in Wisconsin, and we're seeing from polling, with the latest poll having Ted Cruz 10 points up on Donald Trump, he's not used to that kind of thing. 
we're seeing a situation where losing in Wisconsin and losing potentially, you know, pretty badly in Wisconsin and not getting a whole lot of delegates, that really makes uh, New York and a state like New York with its 95 delegates on the Republican side all the more important. And let's just take for a second, before we go into the specific issues, on the Democratic side is every bit as interesting. The dynamic on the Democratic side is every bit as interesting as the Republican side. There's a real great story here as far as what is going on in the Democratic primary. Of course, the Republicans, just with the craziness, with the personal pettiness, with the schoolyard playground nature of it, are sucking up all the oxygen sucking up all the attention, sucking up everything, because you just want to talk about it. You just want to express your outrage. And I'm doing it right now. I'm talking about the Democrats, and I'm saying, let's make an excuse because I'm trying to talk about, well, let's talk about the Republicans. But I really shouldn't do that. Let's talk about Hillary and Bernie for a second. Okay, we're going into Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Upper Midwest State. It looks like that should be a good state for... Bernie Sanders, mostly white, not heavy minority vote, rural, anti-trade, loss of jobs, rust belts. The Democrats in the state have suffered under the governorship of Scott Walker, meaning the unions have, and they've lost a lot of decisive victories. So this is a fertile ground for Bernie Sanders. And, you know, Bernie Sanders did well in the Washington, Hawaii, Alaska. It actually did extraordinarily well in those caucuses. And now he's poised to win a primary. At least it's looking like that. It's looking like Hillary has already made a decision to move on to New York. She's already doing events in New York when potentially she should be working on Wisconsin. And, in fact, she's moving to New York. Well, you got to wonder why she cannot seem to put a guy like Bernie Sanders, a socialist, an old guy, old Jewish guy from Brooklyn, demographically would not seem to be the fit of the Democratic Party. She just can't put him away. She could just can't. I mean, yes, he's in the rearview mirror, but he's really, really close. You know when you have those rearview mirrors, or the side view mirror, it always says, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. It's almost like, okay, Bernie can't win, right? He can't get to the number. He can't go ahead and win before the convention, but he could continue to be close enough that you're nervous about him. You don't want to turn. You don't want to delay because he's, he's right there. You're nervous exactly where he is. And maybe there's going to be some big momentum. I mean, now you head into New York and imagine for Hillary that New York becomes a must-win situation. Who would have thought in April 19th that you could have a must-win situation? For Hillary in New York. And she's got to contend with a big, significant amount of progressives in New York that voted for Zephyr Teachout. Those people are unlikely to go ahead and be big Hillary supporters. Uh, I'm talking about voted for Zephyr Teachout back in the 2014 gubernatorial primary. Uh, A lot of upstate might not have that much love for Hillary. I know downstate in New York City. Long Island, she'll probably do very, very well. But, of course, again, it's proportional by congressional district. So, it's a fact that Hillary feels that she has to go ahead and really 
turn it on in order to win New York, which can't be something that her advisors had thought was going to happen a little while ago. And, you know, if New York is going to be your firewall, okay, it could be your firewall. I mean, there's no question that that is the, you know, that's the case. But, you know, let's talk actually a tale of two competing New York personalities, as far as I see right now. You know, I think Andrew Cuomo certainly becomes in Hillary's corner. And I would imagine that he can deliver in the end. He did win his primary and has tremendous institutional support around the state. And is able should be able to muster votes for Clinton. Bill de Blasio, on the other hand, well, just not to. Well, I know sometimes we get into this. We have to knock Bill de Blasio yet again. And I've got to think to myself, this could, presidential race could not have gotten worse for Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York. I mean, let's harken back to a couple months ago when de Blasio played coy, thought he was going to be the progressive kingmaker, thought he was going to be the one to decide who was going to win in Iowa and everybody would be courting his endorsement. So he hesitated to go ahead and endorse Hillary Clinton. And he just sat back and said, oh, well, I'm sure she'll come to me because I have, you know, I'm the leading progressive in America. But yet, yet, right before... The Iowa caucuses, de Blasio decided to eat crow and endorse Clinton. He didn't get even an appearance with her or a meeting with her. He went to Iowa to campaign, didn't appear with her. I guess he thought at that time, and his advisors told him, well, she's going to win anyway. Might as well get in the bandwagon even if you're getting on late. Yet, the person who should be more of a progressive kindred spirit to Bill de Blasio is actually Bernie Sanders, fellow Brooklynite. And... You know, he eschews Sanders for Clinton. And now all his supporters and all those progressives from Brooklyn, all the Working family part, Families Party types, actually the Working Families Party itself is pushing and they're pulling for Sanders. And so de Blasio is once again on the wrong side. He's on the wrong side of things. He's sitting there and saying, what happened here? How did I get myself into this? He could actually have been a factor in this race. He could have been a factor for Bernie Sanders or for Hillary Clinton here in New York. But in effect, he's kind of an also-ran because nobody seems to care what he has to say politically. And when you think about the fact that the mayor of New York should be an influential job, it's only influential if you play your cards in a very smart way. He has played his cards very very poorly on this. But, you know, it's hard to really understand. I mean, I get this. People don't like Hillary and they don't find her trustworthy and they, the email thing and well, there's just, a, there's just a lot that people not to like. I'll have to say that. But Really, when you compare the two, is Bernie Sanders really presidential? I mean, do you trust him? If you're a Democrat, do you trust him on foreign policy? I mean, they are correct when they say that the guy is on one track pony. Yes, he's consistent, but that's all he talks about. It's all income inequality, and not everything in the world is because of 
every issue in the world is because of income inequality. I was particularly chagrined by his unwillingness to go speak to APAC. Not that you have to go speak to APAC, but the way in which he did it. And then that just awful speech that he sent, which is so far, thankfully, I should say, is so far outside of the mainstream of where the Democrats, even the Democratic you know, foreign policy is. Um, you know, I'd like to say, I'd like to say that you know, I, I don't want Israel to be that partisan wedge issue. I think the Republicans are better from my point of view. But that doesn't mean that that should give license to the Democrats to be bad. But Bernie Sanders is certainly not anywhere where any, hopefully anybody listening to this show, although you can listen to the show if you're feeling a little bit, uh, well, you know, if you like to contrary views. I listen to NPR on a regular basis. I like to hear what the other side is thinking. So uh, you're certainly welcome. But I certainly will say at the same time that I'm not going to go ahead and think that Bernie Sanders, uh, that I'm, I'm certainly happy that most of the Democratic Party is going to reject Bernie Sanders' view on foreign policy. So while we're talking about APAC for a second, we're going to now switch back very quickly to Donald Trump. And, you know, so many people said to me after his great, oh, well, what a great speech to APAC uh, last uh, Monday. And fantastic speech. And we're going to, oh, we sh- shows that when he said he was neutral, he really didn't mean it. And he means this and he means that. And let's take it all together here, okay? You should be very, very, very nervous. Okay, I'll give you cautious with regard to Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump, all he proved when he went to Washington to speak to APAC is that he could read a speech from a teleprompter, which seemed that he'd never done before. And we all know who wrote the speech. He admitted or it was reported that his son-in-law helped him with it. I would imagine it was Ken Kersen, who is the very, very capable and very well, very eloquent editor of the New York Observer, which his son-in-law, which Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, owns. And Ken Kersen has been a prominent pro-Israel Republican for quite some time. He's a very good writer. So he wrote a great speech, touched all the points. But then Trump is just back. When it comes to foreign policy, this week is just back to the craziness. It's back to the, it's back to the freak show on foreign policy. Here we are talking about with a candidate for president of the United States who is essentially talking about undoing all the foreign policy conventions that have served us well since World War II. And yes, things have to change. But he's getting so many of the facts wrong. He talks about NATO when he says, well, they don't deal with terrorism. That's wrong. He's saying that, well, maybe Saudi Arabia should have nuclear weapons. That's insane. Nobody thinks that, unless you feel at the same time that Iran should also have nuclear weapons, because that's the only reason Saudi Arabia should have them. And now, okay, well, Japan should have nuclear weapons because North Korea does. Isn't the point of our foreign policy non-proliferation? So he says, well, I love non-proliferation. It's almost that there's just too contradictory at the same time. And then every all these countries should have to go ahead and pay for their defense. Well, the reason we as the United States do it is because it's in our best interests as the United States. 
he it kind of buys into this idea all the time, and which I find so troubling about the people who are anti-Israel, those non-interventionist, realist types who say, well, the only reason the United States is an ally of Israel or is defends Israel is because of the Jewish lobby, because it's in the Jewish people's interest. It's in a foreign interest. No, the reason the United States has an alliance with Israel and with other allies in the Middle East is because it's in our interest. It's in the United States' interest. It's good for the United States. And if you have to look at the world that way, because if you stop looking at the world that way, then you really, you really just have no coherent policy whatsoever. It's almost as if, and I'm going to venture a crazy thought here when I watch this, it's almost as if Donald Trump has given these issues no thought, no advanced thought whatsoever. That's shocking, right? Everybody should say, wow, I'm shocked. Can you imagine? Well, it is, in fact, shocking that a, pres- that a presidential candidate would give these issues no thought whatsoever. And some people say, well, it's refreshing. I want it. It's great, you know. He's willing to challenge the establishment. He's really to break some eggs in order to make omelets. Well, I get the metaphor. You know the breaking the eggs thing? Okay, I can handle that. I can say, yeah, maybe should there should be some, there really should be some breaking of eggs a little bit. And, you know, we have to, we need an outsider to come and shake things up. Well, I'll tell you one thing. There's nothing that scares... Well, let's put it this way. Uncertainty with our allies, with our economy, with all kinds of things, does not benefit the United States. Chaos does not benefit the United States long term. All chaos will do is cause every single country out there to start taking matters unilaterally to their own hands. I mean, let's be serious here. And if you care about Israel, it's not just about the neutrality. It's not just to say, I'll be neutral. And by the way, this week he went back to that again and said in another interview and said, I think that the that we have to approach this uh, for being neutral. You know, so once again, he's back to that. But if you really want Saudi Arabia to have nuclear weapons, well, it's... It's just inconceivable that you would think that that is the way to go. You know, I think it was Rubio who said at one point, no, it was Rubio who said it at one point, I don't care about politically correct. I just want him to be correct. And that's the big issue here, is that you have a guy who's just not correct. But the one to get back to the issue of the fact that he doesn't give any thought to things before he says them which is an incredibly dangerous proposition for any president, of, for any leader of any country, forget about the United States, any country whatsoever, not to be measured in your words, not to be measured in your thoughts. I mean, he gets, and kudos to Chris Matthews for really an incredible interview, really. Um, yeah, I'm not a big Chris Matthews fan, uh, particularly because of the Israel issue. I think Chris Matthews is, is very, very hostile when it comes to Israel and American policy in the Middle East, or at least what he sees. But he threw Trump off his game in a big way, particularly on these comments with regard to abortion. Would cut, as the same time as Trump was trying to turn the tables on him and accuse Matthews of being a bad Catholic, 
I don't know how that's relevant, although Trump seems to have a religion problem consistently. Right? He goes after, he seems to, Chris Matthews being a bad Catholic is, in his mind, is bad. You know, uh, Brent Carson was a Seventh-day Adventist, whatever that is, and made fun of that. He made fun of Cruz as an evangelical. Um, I mean, one crazy line from a Trump supporter, and I think it's just, you know, uh, is his uh, Mark Burns, big Trump supporter, said this in North Carolina about Bernie Sanders, you know, that because he's Jewish, he's got to have a come to Jesus meeting. A Jewish candidate shouldn't be able to be elected. I mean, he seems to be very, very obsessed with the religion. And the amazing thing is, Trump is not particularly religious. But let's just go back for the abortion thing for a second. Getting caught into the uh, stream of consciousness of the Trump-ism. But let's go back to the abortion thing. Donald Trump actually said that a woman should should be punished. Prosecuted, I should say. Punished under the law. So, prosecuted. For having an abortion. Now, there's nobody I've ever heard, and I consider myself pro-life, pro-life in the Jewish sense of the word. Um, you know, it's certainly not pro-life in the pro-life sense because I think halacha certainly, and Jewish tradition makes many more exceptions that would probably would get us thrown out of the pro-life camp. But generally, I want to say that. But it's inconceivable to me that you would punish the woman for the transgression or prosecute the woman for the for the transgression of having an abortion. I think most people conventionally had always said that you would punish the abortionist. Uh, and Trump, he went there and he just said it. Uh, it was just, it's, I'll, from my point of view here, and, you know, we, we, it's almost the conspiracy. Like, you go back to the conspiracy for a second. And you say, Trump was put up there by the Clintons, right? That was the whole thing. He was put up there by the Clintons to destroy the Republican Party to make it easier for Hillary to win. Well, you know what? It actually seems that's coming true. It's almost as if Donald Trump is a caricature of a conservative. Because he's not a conservative. He's not a Republican. In fact, he seems to be just this fraudulent populist who wants to say things and take the Republican Party off the cliff. Because that's actually what's going on right now. I, I can't even think on any issues where the guy is actually conservative or fits into what I believe are conservative pur- uh, purposes. I'm sorry, principles. Right? He said he's pro-life, but his pro-life stance is, is what, not what any conservative believes in. He doesn't believe in free trade. He doesn't believe in the, if you take the three pillars of the conservative movement, social conservative, economic conservative, and foreign policy conservative, he doesn't fit into any of those three. He's not really a social conservative. He pretends he is in some ways, but he's really not. He's definitely not an economic conservative because he's not a free trader. He doesn't necessarily believe. Yes, he believes in cutting taxes, but he also believes. But he believes in socialized medicine. He believes in government spending in a very significant way. He believes in crony capitalism. He believes in eminent domain. There's a whole bunch of things that are not that he would not qualify as an economic conservative, despite certainly being a capitalist, I would say. But and he's certainly not a foreign policy conservative. 
as you might say, he's not there to strengthen our lives. He's a non-interventionist, doesn't think we should have toppled Saddam Hussein. Okay, maybe he's right about that. Doesn't think we should have intervened in Libya. Doesn't think we should intervene in Syria, although he seems to destroy ISIS immediately, right away, with no holds, no questions asked, and no consequences whatsoever. But the one th- so it's almost as if he is sent there to make these conservatives, to make the conservative movement look so bad, to make the Republican Party look so bad, that Hillary Clinton can get elected. But I'm going to dismiss that for a second, because obviously it's impossible. It's impossible that that's really the case as to what's going on. So let's just not even go there. One thing I think we can learn from this is that Donald Trump dominates the media as if nobody else does. Because I'm spending all my time talking about Donald Trump, even though I don't want to. And really, I'd like to talk about all the other candidates. I'd like to talk about Ted Cruz. I'd like to talk about the fact that conservatives are coalescing around him. The establishment is coalescing around him. It's a story that's unbelievable, considering how hated Ted Cruz is in D.C. And how much people dislike his brand of absolutist politics, of uncompromisingness. And, you know, it's a big question out there. Where do the Republicans want to be? You have Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, who are both protest candidates. They just are from the protest wing. It's almost like the House Freedom Caucus. You have these 40 guys in the House, and they don't care about governing, even though they're in the governing party. So they have to, you have to govern, right? You have to make the country, you have to make the country run. And a lot of people know that, except for these 40 guys. In the Freedom Caucus. I'm not criticizing their principles. Okay, their principles, they, they, they're standing for something. But you have to govern. You have to get things done. Ultimately, the government has to work. You have to fund the government. You can't just stand on principles all the time. And Kasich says he's a governor. He's from the governing wing. It's kind of the same thing on the Democratic side. Sanders doesn't seem to care about what works. He's, he stands for principle. He's uncompromising in principle. He's the protest candidate. And Clinton is the governing candidate. You know, it's, it's that breakdown right there. But if you think about it, it's just, we're not talking about any of these principles. We're not talking about how to, we're talking about these, this sideshow, this circus, as has come about, which is Trump. And think about it. I want to talk about Ted Cruz, and so does the rest of the world, because Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin went ahead and endorsed Cruz. Okay, and it was big news. He went ahead and endorsed Cruz, I believe it was this, on Tuesday. And, you know, that's a big deal in Wisconsin. That's that's really bad for Trump, right? So what does Trump respond? By, well, they have the arrest of Corey Lewandowski, his campaign manager, on this crazy nutty situation that they just that they just lied about over and over and over about him grabbing a reporter. Shocking that he, I mean, Grabbing a reporter is absolutely out, out of bounds. I mean, think about it. And, and, you know, it's almost like the excuse was, well, he was protecting Trump. Well, he, Trump has Secret Service. Talks about the fact that he has Secret Service all the time. And yet, Corey Lewandowski, you know, somehow, okay, I don't even want to talk about this guy. It's just, But he dominates the news again. Cruz gets no headlines. Kasich gets no headlines. Even though Scott Walker endorses Cruz, nobody talks about it because they're talking about this Corey Lewandowski character. I mean, why the campaign manager to begin with is filling the bodyguard role, why the campaign manager is filling the press secretary role, whatever it is. Okay, it's just unbelievable when you think about it. And, you know, Sanders, you know, kind of gets it right when he turns around and says the Republican Party is a fringe party about Trump's comments. Well, it is. I mean, does anybody remember the last time around, the last cycle, presidential cycle with Todd Akin? The, just the crazy 
comments with regard to rape and abortion the Republicans made and how detrimental it was? Well, yes, Donald Trump has gone ahead and topped that. So, I just want to, I guess, just end this this entire soliloquy that I've come up, that I've decided to comment on. You know, really, one thing we're going to see right now, we're going to see Wisconsin, and if the polls show it's going to be Cruz and it's going to be Sanders, and that sets up a race that's going to be very, very significant in New York on April 19th. New York, big prize now for both states, for both races. It's going to be very, very significant. And you're going to see something you've never seen before, which is actual presidential campaigning in New York. And one thing that's going to be particularly, particularly interesting as we close this out is that delegates in New York are awarded by congressional district. And some districts, particularly in New York City, on the Republican side, particularly in New York City, have very, very few Republicans comparatively. Or I should say, they don't necessarily have few Republicans on a gross number. They have very few active Republicans. There's very few Republicans who have, you know, who vote. I mean, there are... Well, actually, they do have very, very few Republicans. If some of them, some of the particular, you know, some of them in Brooklyn, uh, which are heavily minority, very, very few Republicans. Anyway, so it's going to be very interesting how few votes can swing several delegates, which is going to be so, so crucial. And you're going to potentially see Republicans going to campaign in the inner city in order to go ahead and win some of those votes. It'll be interesting. Certainly, if you're here in New York, you're in a front row seat for the presidential race for the first time in quite some time. So that's it for here for Spin Class. Thank you for the S4 group for sponsoring. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks here on the Nachum Siegel Network.